today on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Some of you have been disciplined. Some of you are being disciplined right now. And what I want you to know is that he is doing it in love. He is doing it because he wants you to learn to love and trust him. I know that it feels painful. I know that sometimes you feel like God is trying to destroy you. But his intentions are not your destruction. His intentions are your healing. Welcome back to Summit Life, the Bible teaching ministry of pastor, author, and theologian J.D. Greer. As always, I'm your host, Molly Vitovich, and we are so glad that you're back with us this week. Let me ask you something. Do you have pain, disappointment, or unanswered questions in your life? I know I do. Well, today we're kicking off a new teaching series called Kingdom Come with a message about understanding real faith in spite of the challenges that life throws at us. As a reminder, if you'd like to study the complete, unedited transcripts that go along with this message, you can always view them free of charge when you visit us at jdgreer.com. Pastor J.D. titled today's message, Surprise. So grab your Bible and turn with us to Luke chapter 1. We're going to see right off the bat, Luke present the gospel to two different kinds of skeptics. The first kind that we're going to look at is the person whose skepticism arises from the fact that they've been really disappointed in life. Life has damaged them in a way that they don't know how they could believe in the idea of a good God who has unwavering intentions for good in their life in light of how their life has turned out. I deal as a pastor all the time with people like this. In fact, I would say that of the different kinds of doubt, this is the greater kind. This is the kind more people struggle with. It's not like they read a book by Richard Dawkins and that made them question their faith. It's that they're just looking at their life. And they're like, how could I believe in a God whose intentions are good for me all the time. At least you say they are. And how could life have turned out like this for me? Because I get to see things that I don't understand if there is a God and he really cares about me, why my life would look like, like this. The very first story in Luke, very first one, is about a couple of people who are brokenhearted because they have always wanted to have kids. That's all they've wanted. And they've never been able to do it. And now they're old really old, and it looks like they've totally missed out on this blessing. And you're going to see how the birth of Jesus speaks into that pain. So let's jump right into it. If you got your Bible, and I hope that you do, I want you to take it out, and I want you to open it to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Here we go. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he, Zechariah, had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both of them were advanced in years. Barrenness. They had no kids. It was hardly anything worse for a couple or for a family in Israel during that time. Because, see, to have kids meant that you had someone to take care of you in the future. I understand that it's really bad today when a couple wants to have kids, and I don't want to minimize that at all. But in those days, there were some other ramifications to being childless. Because you didn't have somebody to take care of you in your old age. They didn't have 401Ks and retirement plans the way that we we did. Their retirement plan was to have lots of kids. One of them would get wealthy and take care of you. So when you don't have kids, that means when you get old, there's nobody that's going to look after you. In addition to that, the way that Israel understood the promises of God is that God had given them an inheritance in Israel and that the way that their family would keep part in that 
inheritance was you'd have kids and, and, and the inheritance would be handed down to the generations of your family. And if you don't have kids, then you're losing your inheritance stake in God's kingdom. And so this is more than just they're lonely. This is, is their hopes for the future are gone. For years they'd hoped for a son. But year after year, they'd cycled through hope and disappointment. And I know that, that, that many of you have gone through the same thing, this cycle that I'm talking about. By this point, though, a kind of permanent disappointment has set in on them. The one thing that they wanted in life was not going to be theirs. Plus, they had all these questions that people asked about them. You know, because in that day, the surest sign they thought of God's blessing was that you would have kids. So people were like, oh, yeah, Zachariah and Elizabeth. I wonder what's wrong with them. I wonder why God is displeased with them. I wonder what it is that we don't know about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Let me ask you this. Do you have something in your life like this? Something that you can't understand why God hasn't given it to you? Maybe it's this issue. Maybe you're like, God, why? Why don't I have kids? Why don't we have kids? But what do we do wrong? Why is it that other people seem to be able to have no problem with this? Why not us? God, why am I not married? I mean, God, what's wrong with me? How come I'm watching other people that I grew up with get married, and, and, and how come I'm not married? God, why have I been overlooked for promotion? Why are people who have lesser abilities than me, why they've gone a lot farther than I have? God, how come my family and I never can seem to round the corner financially? I mean, looking at other people that I graduated with from college, and look how they're going way beyond where I am. God, why? Why haven't we been able to do that? What's wrong with us? God, why are my kids not normal? Right? I'm not saying this personally. I'm just saying, I mean, some of you, I'm not trying to minimize your pain if this is you. Why are my kids not? How come my kids are the one in trouble? How come my kids are walking away from the faith? What did we do wrong? God, and do you feel the sting of what other people say about you sometimes? Or what you think they're saying? I have a friend who was single for a long time. And he told me that as he got older, he was aware that people would ask. Sometimes they would do it directly. So what's wrong with you? And why can't you get married? He knew that for every one person that said that to his face, there were 10 people saying, saying it behind his back. Oh, he's not single for a season. He's single for a reason. You know, I mean, statements like that. Another one of my friends said he got so sick of the patronizing statements that people would make to him. He said he'd be at weddings at his church, and little old ladies would come up to him and say so condescendingly, they'd be, oh, bless your heart, which is Southern for you poor little idiot, right? <laughs> bless your heart. Don't worry, honey, you're next. He said he got so tired of it that he would go up to those same little old ladies at funerals and say, don't worry, honey, <laughs> you're next, you're next. Totally kidding about that, but, uh, but you, you understand the point is, there's all these questions that were going around. But you see, the Bible is very careful to know this, this was not a curse. Do you see that? They were righteous. They walked blamelessly before the Lord. That didn't mean that they were sinless. Just that they had not done anything that singled them out for God's judgments. But I'm sure there were still a lot of times that Zachariah and Elizabeth asked themselves, God, what did we do wrong? God, what did we do wrong? What's wrong with us? Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Let me explain this real quick. There were thousands of priests in Israel. And so they had different divisions of them that would cycle through and they would take care of the stuff going on in the temple for you know, a month or so. 
And during that time, there was one of them that would be selected to go in into the very holy of holies and offer incense before God, only one. And so they would choose that by the casting of dice. Well, this die cast falls on Zechariah. He's the one that's chosen out of his division. Y'all, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Verse 11. And there appeared to him while he was in the Holy of Holies, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, I can't resist here. Real quick. All right, just give me a second on this. One of the things I want you to notice in, in Luke's storytelling is the amount of random details that he just throws in. Like the fact that the angel is standing on the right side of the altar of incense, that has nothing to do with the plot. The reason that's in there is because Luke is writing eyewitness accounts. He either talked to Zechariah and got this from him directly or talked to somebody who had heard it from Zechariah. Okay, verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw that angel and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. I love little scenes like this one where it shows you what angels are really like. 70% of Americans say they believe in angels. And 32%, a third of you say that you have experienced one. A third of this audience will say in some way they've experienced an angel. The common picture of angel sightings is pretty tame. My kids' books usually have them something like little fat Pillsbury Doughboys with wings on them. Um, Life Magazine, a few years ago, did this big survey to find out what the 32% who say they saw an angel, what it was like. And the answers in this article range from the spooky to the bizarre. You've got, of course, the standard messages from the underworld. But then you've got people who claim angels show up to give them directions when they're lost. Several who say that angels help them find a parking space. Which, if that's true, that's got to be the worst possible assignment for an angel. One lady in the article that claimed that an angel helped her make a chicken casserole. And another lady who said an angel helped her lose weight, she even wrote a book about it called The Angel's Little Diet Book. I kid you not. Now, I won't comment on whether those things are true. All right, probably not. But I won't comment on that. (laughs) But just know this, that when somebody sees an angel in the Bible, the response is always to be absolutely terrified. The angel's first response is always, no, 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 it's okay. Don't die. Don't die. It's not usually, I think you need a dash of cumin in that casserole. That's not normally what's said, okay? Verse 13, the angel says, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call his name John and he will, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink and he will, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. People prepared for what? The birth of another baby. This guy's gonna lead to a national repentance and he's gonna prepare the way for the birth of an even greater child, the Messiah. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angels, said to the angel, excuse me, how shall I know this? Because I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I, I love his phrasing here. He says that he's old, but his wife is advanced in years. In Hebrew, advanced in years is a much stronger phrase than simply old. Zechariah is like, I'm old, but my wife is old. I mean, she is, oh, her birth certificate says expired on it, you know? When she sneezes, dust comes out. If you told her to act her age, she'd die, okay? I mean, my wife is old. She's old, okay? I mean, folks, when the Bible says you're old, you're old, you're old. The point is, she's not fertile myrtle anymore. 
So Zachariah's like, I don't believe you. And that you got to hear the tone in his words. I don't believe you. I don't believe you because year after year we prayed and asked God for this. And there was no answer. And now you're telling me that when I'm old and about to die, that me and my geriatric wife are going to have a baby? Where were you when we were 30? Where were you when we were 40, 50? Now we're 80 and you're telling me that we're going to have a baby? And the angel answered in verse 19, I am Gabriel. Oh, that's a bad statement right there. That's like the I am Jason Bourne line, like times a thousand right there. I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you, to bring you this good news. The angel's like, really, Zachariah, really? Just a minute ago, you were in the corner wetting your pants, and now you're all like, are you sure this can happen? You're listening to Summit Life with Pastor J.D. Greer. Today, we begin a new teaching series called Kingdom Come, walking us through the Gospel of Luke, and I've got some exciting news just for you. We're also offering a brand new featured resource written by Pastor J.D. to go along with it. Right now, we are offering our faithful supporters a copy of Kingdom Come, 20 Devotions from Luke, so that you can dive even deeper into the teachings of this important book. And like most of our resources, we've designed this to be helpful to you in growing your own personal faith. But it's also a valuable tool that you could pass along to a friend or a loved one once you're finished reading through it. Or even better, maybe you do the study with someone else as a way to help them grow. We're all about making disciples here at Summit Life. So to get a hold of your copy, just give us a call with your gift. You can reach us at 866-335-5220 or give online at jdgreer.com. Now let's get back to today's teaching. Once again, here's Pastor J.D. So verse 20, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. This was the first massive time out in the Bible, okay? The angel's like, go to your room, no TV, no cell phones. I just want you to sit and think about what you've done. For nine months, he cannot hear, he cannot speak. Now, real quick, you might be like, well, how do you know he can't hear? Because I see where it says he can't speak. All right, well, if you jump down to verse 62, it says that whenever they wanted to talk to Zechariah, they made motions to him with their hands. You don't do that for people that can hear. Because if you do, it's really annoying. You know, you're like, do you want to eat? You know, and they're like, I can hear, right? So they're making motions to him, which means that he cannot hear and he cannot speak. All right, now, the angel says, nine months, you're gonna go to your room, which is gonna be everywhere that you go from now on, you're gonna be in your room, quiet, and can't talk, and think about how dumb you are, no pun intended, okay? Now, before you write off Zachariah as a stubborn old fool, I want you to try to relate to him for a minute. Zachariah has a deep, deep wound. The angel did not simply show up and say, tomorrow it's gonna to rain, Zachariah. Uh-uh. That's, that's not what's being said here. The angel speaks to him about hope in an area where Zachariah and his wife had only experienced pain and disappointment. Zachariah's refusal to believe is arising out of a deep and bitter past hurt. He's got a heart full of doubt that God is capable or able because of his disappointment in the past. Zachariah thinks his bitter past trumps the promises and the power of the sovereign God. You ever do that? Do you ever do that? God, there's no way that you could be in control of the situation. I know what your word says, but there is no way you could really be in control of the situation and it be turning out the way that it is. 
God, you've forgotten about me. God, there's no way that you could have a plan of goodness and blessing for me because you know I've done this and this in my past and I know what you're talking about using me for good, but I've just got way too much baggage to be able to ever be used for good. God, I don't have the capability to do what I feel like you're telling me to do. God, this has been a habit for so long that there's no way that I can shake it. I know that you'll say we'll be more than conquerors. And I know that you say that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. But I can't. There's no way. I give up. And the pain of your past trumps for you the promises of God. God shut up Zachariah in timeout to teach him to trust his love and his character. What God did to Zechariah was discipline, yes, but it was love. You see, because there's a difference, a big difference, and this is really important. There's a difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is when God pays you back for your sin. Discipline is when God gets out a surgical knife and corrects things in you for your good. Would you want a man with a knife sticking it into your chest? It depends on what his intentions are. If this is a guy that's trying to murder you, then no, you don't want the knife in your chest. But if this is a doctor who is skilled, who is performing life-saving open-heart surgery on you, then yes, you want that knife going into your chest. When God disciplines you, if you are a believer in Jesus, he is not doing so with the knife of judgment. You want to know why? Because every bit of the judgment for your sin was poured out upon Jesus Christ. And because Jesus took your full penalty in your place, there's not a drop of that penalty that's reserved for you. And if God paid you back at all for your sin, then he would be exacting two punishments for the same sin, and that would be unjust, and God is not unjust. So now, because God has poured out on Jesus the punishment for your sin, when he works on you, he does so with discipline. Jesus took the knife of judgment so you could get the scalpel of healing, okay? That's why there's a big difference in punishment and discipline, and what's going on here is love. It is discipline. As God is going to correct something in Zechariah, you're going to see how that plays out here in a minute. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, right? But during these five months, Elizabeth keeps saying over and over again to herself and anybody that will listen, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my, my reproach among people. That word reproach is really important, and we'll come back to it in a minute. But this is what Elizabeth was saying during her pregnancy, what Zechariah was saying was, of course, nothing, okay? Jump down to verse 57. Verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, right? And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, but none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. It looks like our old boys learned something in nine months, hadn't we? Yeah, he's not like, oh, yeah, call him John. I like John. John's a strong name. He's like, no, call him John. Quick, before God kills me, call him John. And they all wondered. See that? Verse 63. They all wondered, and immediately, verse 64, his mouth was opened. And his tongue was loose, and he spoke, blessing God. Pent-up worship explodes out of Zechariah's mouth. For nine months, he has sat there, and he has watched in silence. 
all the while getting excited, all the while learning to believe the gospel. And when John is born, this old man sings and dances and spins around and starts freestyle rapping. And you can read it right there. He can read his rhyme in verses 68 through 79. And you can read that later. Here's the point I'm trying to make to you. Listen, the purpose of God's discipline in your life is that you overflow with joy and happiness in God in a way that makes you burst out in praise. Some of you have never really been able to worship. At least you've never been able to really worship with your heart. And God puts you through discipline because he wants you to be able to have joy in him. Some of you have been disciplined. Some of you are being disciplined right now. And what I want you to know is that he is doing it in love. He is doing it because he wants you to learn to love and trust him. I know that it feels painful. I know that sometimes you feel like God is trying to destroy you, but his intentions are not your destruction. His intentions are your healing. Y'all, the older I get, the more I believe in this, in the depths of my soul. God's love and tenderness is seen in his discipline of us. The wrath of God, the wrath of God is when God does nothing about your sin and allows you to keep walking in it. The love of God pours itself out in your life when God says, no, no more. You are not gonna harden your heart to me any longer. You are not gonna walk in selfishness. You are not going to give away your soul to idols in place of me and experience the despair and the anxiety and the loneliness that results from walking apart from me. So I'm gonna put you through surgery and surgery hurts but I do it because I care about you. God's love is demonstrated in his discipline in your life. And some of you need to understand that, that what you're going through right now is his love towards you and not resistance, but to learn from it. I was talking about this with our campus pastors. Every week I always walk through the message with the the campus pastors and they give me feedback. And one of our campus pastors, um, he played football in college. He said, you know, this reminds me when I was, you know, in athletics in high school and college, that whenever the coach was yelling at you, that's actually a really good sign. He said, because if the coach sees potential in you, those are the players he yells at. If the coach is totally ignoring you, that means he sees no potential in you and doesn't care about you at all. So the harder the coach is on you, the more that he cares about you. When he said that, another one of our campus pastors said, that explains so much of my athletic career right there. Because I would say, coach, how am I doing? You know, and coach would be like, fine, Franks, is that your name? Good. Coach, what do I do on this play? Go long. Just go long. Go stand out there for a while and then come back and we'll give you a snow coat. You know, you're doing, you're, you're doing fine. Right? If God, if God cares about you, if God has something for you, then he puts you through discipline. Discipline is not God taking your joy away. In fact, it's God taking away from you the things that ultimately will kill you and will keep you from real joy. Understanding joy from God's perspective is so important. I'm thankful for a God who loves me enough to discipline me. You're listening to Pastor J.D. Greer on Summit Life. If you've joined us late, you can listen to this entire message free of charge when you visit us online at jdgreer.com. Pastor J.D. challenged his own church, the Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, to be reading their Bibles along with this study. Because if there's one thing that'll transform your walk with the Lord, it's spending one-on-one time in God's Word. 
If you'd like to take that challenge and read through the book of Luke as we move through this study, we have a tool to help you do that. As our way of saying thanks when you donate to support this ministry, we'll send you a copy of Kingdom Come, 20 Devotions from Luke. You know, Summit Life is funded by listeners like you. So when you give, you're actually giving to another listener and helping them experience the gospel in a deep and meaningful way. Join that mission by giving today and remember to ask for this collection of devotionals. You can also ask about becoming a monthly supporter we call a gospel partner when you call 866-335-5220. That's 866-335-5220. Or give online at jdgreer.com. That's J-D-G-R-E-E-A-R.com. I'm Molly Vitovich, and we'll see you again Tuesday when Pastor J.D. asks the pivotal question, will God's plan triumph over all of life's hurts and disappointments? Discover the answer Tuesday right here on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Today's program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.